CPA and CFP Don Cash has made it his life's work to help people like you plan their finances and achieve their retirement goals. It's time for your money and your life. Welcome into another edition of the podcast. We certainly appreciate your time here on Your Money and Your Life with Don Cash as we talk investing, finance, and retirement with Don each and, uh, well, not each and every week, but each and every time we do a podcast. And uh, this time is no exception. And of course, if you've got questions, concerns, need help, reach out to Don, who is a CPA and a CFP by finding him online at donaldcash.com. That's donaldcash.com. And and of course, this week, we, as I said, we do investing, finance, and retirement every week. And we're going to do reinvestment risk this go-around on the session. So uh, we're going to dive in and get that going. But first, Don, what's going on, buddy? How are you? You were uh, down here in my neck of the woods recently. How was your trip? Yeah, I was in uh, Charlotte a couple of days ago. Great city. They yeah. call it the Queen City. That's I didn't right. know that. Queen City, yep. Yep. Had a one-day business meeting there. Was able to visit some friends that moved there from New Jersey. It seems nice. like everyone's moving you know, in that area from the Northeast uh, over the past, let's say, five, 10 years. North, South Carolina, Tennessee, Florida. Yeah, yeah. right. All those areas. And the weather was perfect. And we talked about that before the show. Couldn't help but notice the number of young people in this city, Mark. It was amazing. It reminded me a lot of a city like uh, maybe Nashville or Austin, Texas. Yeah, it's certainly been going that direction for the last couple of years. And uh, now it's a great area. And I'm glad you had uh, fantastic weather, too, because it was gorgeous. Yeah, it was perfect. And it's only about an hour, maybe an hour and 20 minutes from Newark Airport. That's where I traveled from. Right. And, um, hey, I have a great travel tip. Okay. okay. Yeah. A lot of these big airports have this security program called Clear. Do you ever hear of that? I have. I don't do a lot of traveling. My wife probably has, but what's that? Uh, she probably has. It's a type of like a fast access bypassing the long lines of security. Mm-hmm. So I signed up for this um, recently, and I used it twice over the past month, and it worked great. It's like a TSA pre-check. Okay, she does have that, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you pay like a small fee, and this one you pay every year. I pre-check is every five years. But they keep your fingerprints and eye scan on file, and Hmm. when you get to the airport, you look for this uh, the clear entry point. It's usually near the TSA screening line, and someone from the airport actually escorts you to the TSA agents <laughs> that directs you right to the baggage conveyor belt. Oh, wow. Well, that is kind of cool. I'll have to mention that to her. Uh, so she, she's always looking for ways to do that when she's doing work travel and stuff. So cool, di- uh, cool tip. I appreciate that. Well, you know, listen, before, and I guess, you know, if you think about, I guess in a way, that's kind of an interesting transition, right? Airport, you got to have safety uh, and there's always risks when we travel. But before we transition to that topic of reinvestment risk, you mentioned something interesting about the increase in cash transactions over the past two years. So let's touch on that for a few minutes. Yeah, it's interesting. I I noticed this, I guess, over the past two, three years, Mark, during the pandemic. I'm sure you've experienced this too when you have gotten out to dinner at a restaurant and you're given the bill to pay. And right, yeah. Now, yeah, now there's a difference in the amount of the bill based on whether you pay in cash or credit. It's oh, they're all huge. charging more if you use a, if credit of some kind. Yeah, it's usually around 4%. Yeah. But it's weird because so many places are also saying we don't have exact change and all this kind of stuff, right? So I see that uh, sign up everywhere as well. So it's kind of like this weird place where we're in where they kind of want people to pay with cash, but they also don't. And I think it's just a way to, I think it's a way to just get the extra charge maybe. Yeah, it could. It's like a push in two different directions, right? Yeah. You know, before 2020, I never saw this no, when I was not dining out. Everything was kind of like integrated into the bill. And, you know, when you pay for dinner and, and the bill's $100, uh, 
you know, the 4% upcharge is not a big deal. But for a large party, it, it really adds up. And mm-hmm. uh, I mentioned that my daughter's getting married in June. Right. Uh, and yesterday was the big bridal shower. Oh, you know, no, all yeah. the ladies get together. Right. Uh, so paying for the event at the restaurant in cash saved like over a hundred bucks. Hmm. And when June rolls around and the wedding venue offers a cash discount, it adds up to like over a thousand dollars. So as much as you mentioned before, people talk about this cashless society. It's like the banking system with the high fees is incentivizing people to actually use cash more often. And, you know, you also see this uh, mark and I've seen it before with like home improvements and car repairs and hair salons. They're kind of getting in on this too. Yeah. It's just like our society, right? To literally do two things at the same time that are opposing, <laughs> right? And you're going, wait a minute, is it? Ca- are we going cashless or are you going to charge us more for everything? And of course, it's like, well, there's always a great way to charge us more. So, well, let's talk a little bit about that since we're talking about cash. Uh, with the increase in the um, in the Fed reserve rates, you know, over the past year, 18 months, uh, whatever it's been, many investors are looking, obviously, more closely at CD rates, right? I hear this more and more often uh, now. It's like, well, it's not too bad, you know, and high-yield savings accounts, for example, as well, offering rates over 4%. So let's talk about that, Don, and, and how there is that hidden reinvestment risk that maybe kind of could be lurking in the shadows a little bit, some things to think about if that's on the uh, the radar. Yeah, it's a great point, Mark. Not, you know, not many people talk about or even know about this idea of reinvestment risk. Many of us are familiar with the typical well-known investment risks like a market risk, right? right That's like yeah. the risk of the investments declining in value due to any, any number of reasons. Recently, it was COVID or mm-hmm. it was uh, increase in interest rates and the war in Ukraine. And you have liquidity risk, like what happened with SVB Bank last month. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of like the run on the bank scenario from It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, and of course, there's concentration risk. That's a big one. Hmm. And what what exactly is that? I'm curious about that one a little bit because I've heard the others, and I hear things like longevity risk, and you know, we hear those kinds of things. What is that? And and when the concentration risk, I'm curious. Yeah, that's kind of like putting all your eggs in one basket. Oh, right. oh, a, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. I just hadn't heard it put that way. But yeah. So yeah, certainly uh, going after any one particular stock, right? Or, or something like that. Yeah. Like Bitcoin or Facebook stock yeah. last year. And then there's things like uh, credit risk. You know, right, the company could go out of business. Sure. And that's a, a big risk. Inflation risk, which we're seeing now. <laughs> right. Uh, interest rate risk. That's the risk that uh, you could, uh, interest rates could rise. And you're stuck with a, a long-term rate. And that was another SVB bank problem, mm-hmm. right? The interest rates were going up and they were stuck with a, a low rate for a long-term, and, yeah. Yeah, long-term rate. Uh, then longevity risk, that's, of course, the risk you could live too long and run out of money. Yeah, and that's the big multiplier, too, to all the other risks, usually, is the longevity. So, you know, obviously, we're, there's a lot of talk going on around inflation risk. And inflation is still running I don't know, a little over 6%, I think, at the time we're doing this. And, and that could you know, lead to that running out of money if the cost of living is greater than your savings growth. Yeah, absolutely. That could be a, a big problem. And you're right. The longevity risk is like a multiplier risk. Of I've everything really else, of yeah. really is. I, I think also the fear of a, of a market risk, like you know, the market going down and the tendency to look in the rearview mirror at the recent past – is driving this potential reinvestment risk. And I guess it would be a good idea to first define what reinvestment risk is. True. It basically, it's the 
it's the return an investor expects, right? The risk is the return the investor expects to receive after reinvesting the cash flows from the investment. So the return is a percentage and it represents the anticipated profit the investor expects to make on the reinvestment of their money. So yeah. uh, for example, right. take an investor who purchased a one-year CD with an interest rate of 5%. Pretty common nowadays, right? Okay, right. The end of the term, the investor can reinvest the money in another CD at the going interest they rate. Kind of re-up, if you will, right? Yep, they can take the cash without reinvesting, spending it, or they can reinvest in another kind of investment. But here's the issue: what if the interest rate drops? Right. So mm-hmm. that's the risk. You say, "Ah, oh, yes, let's go for that five percent rate." But, right. You know, and if things start to slow up or get back to normal, we could see them, you know, drop that down a little bit. They could hold it the same. So it isn't. It is a risk. Very likely, especially yeah. as they're talking about uh, the Federal Reserve going in the other direction in the near term. So uh, let's take an extreme example. In, in 1981, we talked about that year being like the peak for interest rates. Mm-hmm. You could get a 30-year U.S. government bond with no risk at 13% interest. Can you imagine that? Yeah, wow. <laughs> 13% interest. Back then, you could also get a CD uh, for a comparable rate, and they would give you like a free radio and a free television to boot. You know, they would Here's give your them- toaster from Toastamax. Exactly, and yeah. with a 15% CD. And you could get a one-year treasury, treasury bill, or CD, about 15%. So think about that. You can get a 30-year bond at 13 or a one-year treasury or a CD at 15%. So here's a question. Where do you think people put their money? Well, most people are going to go with the short-term stuff. They don't want to wait because, I mean, A, it's shorter and it's a little bit higher. So you're going to go with the short-term option. Well, there you go. So it's a little higher. Mm-hmm. It's short-term. And why do you think they did that? What do you think the, the expect- rationale? Yeah, I was going to say with well, the expectation, like we were starting to talk about here, is that, well, it should tick up a little more. It's exactly right. Yeah. So that's the human emotion we call recency bias, right? Right, right. Yet the one-year rate uh, a year later had dropped, actually, from 13% to 10%, yeah. and eventually 6%, and you know, from 10, 9, 8, 7, All the way down six, to the 1 or whatever it was we were all, at. That's right, all the way down to less than 1 recently. Now, the investor who bought the 30-year bond mm-hmm. at 13% received 13% interest every year. <laughs> From 1981 to 2011, think nice. about that. Nice. People who bought the one-year treasury or CD expected the rate to go from 15 to 16 to 18 or 20% or more, but that never happened. Yeah. It went the other way. Yeah. So, okay, so if we're, if we're bringing that back to now, Don, then the risk is and if you have a CD at 4%, which we're starting to see more, or 5 right, uh, and inflation at 6 you are still, well, of course, losing your purchasing power. It's really no different than just having your money in the bank, either just regular old savings account. You're just not keeping up. Yeah, absolutely. So we have multiple risks again at work. People just don't see it that way, right? We have the the reinvestment risk. We have the inflation risk. And you mentioned before the longevity risk. That plays into this as well. And if the, if the rates are at 2% uh, or 3% in a year from now, you're actually doing the opposite of the axiom of investing, right? It calls for buying low and selling high. And let me be clear here. If you're holding cash, Mark, for a specific 
short-term need like an emergency fund or college bills or home improvement right uh or an upcoming home purchase or like myself for a wedding this is a great time to hold cash right right it's super but if you're late if you're thinking something like let me invest for the long term with a cd or a savings account because i'm afraid that the stock market looks bad or the bond market looks bad it's going to be dropping and then get back in down the road when things look good, quote unquote, that's been a really poor strategy, historically speaking. Yeah, I mean, it's still market timing, right? I mean, that's just all it is. So and it's a great point. So if you do have enough cash for those things that you mentioned and you have a long life expectancy, maybe we really need to kind of, uh, you know, beat that inflation. Well, we, we don't need to. We have to beat that inflation, right? Because we're going to be around a while and we're going to face that longevity risk and possibly run out of money. And I think that's what people were really nervous about over the last 18 months when inflation's been crazy. They're thinking, hey, this is this depleting my accounts faster than I had planned for? Yeah. You know, it's funny that inflation risk is really not something we've dealt with, right? Over no, the past We've many, done many... numerous podcasts on that, right? Last 40 years, really. Yeah, I mean, for, we've talked about that recently. We've done podcasts on this, but in terms of the investor's mindset, right, it's not something that we've dealt with, right? We just kind of assume prices are going to be low, uh, inflation is going to be low. But now we're thinking, hey, what happens, you know, if we push the inflation rate on stuff going forward? Mm -hmm. It's a real issue. So it gets back to the basics of really matching the asset, the savings, mm -hmm. with the liabilities, the expenses. And there seems to be like two classes of CD and bond buyers right now, Mark. The the first one is using the high interest rates to keep savings for a short-term need, like I mentioned before. Okay. They're doing the right thing. And there's those buying CDs or putting money in savings accounts to time the market uh, due to like fear or greed or you know that sort of thing and, and really doing the wrong thing. Now, how is that different from interest rate risk? That's a good question. The interest rate risk is actually the reverse risk. So let's go back to the last example. Let's okay. Say for example, let's say an investor who purchased a 10-year CD or bond, you know, bonds more applicable here, a 10-year bond, a year ago for with $100,000 with an interest rate of 2%. Now you can get a shorter-term CD or bond at 5%. So you're kind of stuck with that bond, Right. At the two percent, if you want to sell the bond, it's worth a lot less than a hundred. Yeah, someone's not going to give you that for it, right? Yeah, you may need to wait it out and uh, and miss out on the higher interest rate, and it's particularly painful for an investor with with high inflation. Well, to your point earlier, that's basically, and we talked about this on a prior show as well, that what the uh, the whole SVB situation appears to have been around is that they did basically just that. You know, so you're just again losing that purchasing power. Yeah, and, and that's what caused the bank to eventually fail. And they looked at it in terms of the value of that bond, and they said, well, this is a problem here. Yeah. So you know, you're losing the purchasing power as an investor, right? The bank is just losing the value as they look at the viability of the bank going forward. But mm -hmm, right. keep in mind that if you have a, a well-diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds, you have stocks that historically beat inflation. And bonds that, you know, if they're short-term bonds and high-quality bonds are taking advantage of the higher rates today, and they're acting like a, a stabilizer for the portfolio. Now, break, break down a little bit what you mean by that, Don, with, with the bonds. 
So the bonds are, they should be looked at as a stabilizer inside the portfolio. It's kind of like the ballast of a ship. So I'll give you an example. My wife and I love visiting Savannah, Georgia. I'm sure you've been there several mm-hmm. times, right? Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So there's a street there. It's on the Savannah River that runs parallel to the river called River Street. What a shock. Yes. Uh, clever name. But it's paved with cobblestones. I mean, it's literally probably hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of cobblestones from ships that landed there from Europe in the colonial days. Now, the large rocks were set at the bottom of the ship when they left Europe uh, to create a heavy weight to stabilize these ships during the rough voyage, you know, with the pounding waves in the Atlantic Ocean. Right. And when they got off the ship, they unloaded the rocks and they just set them in the street uh, to create these cobblestones. So mm. a high-quality bond portfolio is kind of like the ballast of that ship, right? It reduces the ups and downs of the account. And this is particularly a big deal in retirement, especially when you're taking money out for living expenses. Well, and a lot of times I think most people feel comfortable with the general concept, but certainly this past year we saw bonds, unfortunately, not do so well in that regard but typically yes this is this is the thinking yeah and no doubt and, and keep in mind it's really the type of bonds that's the key here right so a long-term bond mm-hmm. uh, last year quality the government long-term 30-year bond was down like 28 percent right yeah huge but if you had a short term it was down much much less maybe uh, ah gotcha five percent six percent it still acted like the ballast of the ship because the s p 500 was down 18 percent some of these stocks were down 30 40 50 60 70 mm-hmm. okay percent. i see mm-hmm. so it still acted as a stabilizer and on the stock end a diversified portfolio if it had a mix of value growth it had large and small stocks international that brings down the volatility as well. So keep in mind, if you have a a well-diversified portfolio, you might have a small part of, let's say, a $10 million government bond coming due today in the bond portfolio. Now, the portfolio manager is now buying a one-year treasury or a three-year treasury at 5 or 4%. They're kind of doing what you're trying to do with a CD just at a much, much higher level. Yeah, that's interesting for sure. And that makes more sense. So I'm I'm definitely tracking with you now. And so what is the advantage of that on that larger scale? Yeah. 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 Keep in mind that one of the fundamentals of sound investing is to rebalance. Right. We talk about that often, right? Yep. Sell high and buy low. So if the stocks do well, you can sell some of the stocks and buy more bonds. And if the bonds do well, you can sell the bonds and buy more stocks, right? So the CD is not liquid, right? You you can't sell it to rebalance <laughs> the portfolio. You're stuck with it. right? And most of these high-quality short-term bonds, you could sell at any moment of the day. So that's the precept of good portfolio management and, and just sound investing is to buy low, sell high, and rebalance regularly. 
And it requires three main traits, Mark, that many investors and even financial advisors, I say it to say, lack. One is patience. The second is discipline. And the third is just having an understanding of these things. And we, you know, we feel that an educated investor is just able to sleep better at night, understand how they match their investments with their goals, and they could just live a life more involved with their purpose and meaning and do the things that they enjoy doing. Yeah, and again, that's one of the reasons we do the podcast and, and just to share this information because I think that's really truly where some great value comes into play by having someone like Don on your side because that's the point, right? I mean, we're trying to just enjoy our retirement or enjoy it. We're not trying to stress and think about all these nuances, but it is good to have that good knowledge base not only for ourselves but certainly working with, and as Don, you just mentioned, some advisors don't even talk about this or do this stuff. So if you've got questions, you need help, again, Don is here to help. He is a CPA and a CFP, so clearly looking at both sides of things here. So reach out to him. Get yourself onto the calendar if you've got some questions or concerns. Uh, you can find him at donaldcash.com. That's donaldcash.com. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, Your Money and Your Life, and all that good stuff is there as well. Lots of good tools, tips, and resources. But definitely reach out and uh, have some if you have some questions and really talk about it because it is hard. Patience, discipline, understanding, it's definitely tough, Don. No, absolutely. I think the key takeaway here, Mark, is don't get caught up in recent events. And that's hard to do. but It yeah. really is. It's, yeah. it, it could be bad news like we've experienced recently and like over the past several years with with um, the pandemic. You know, it, you know, it's impossible not to get caught up in it, right? But, you know, or an increase in interest rates, what we've experienced over the past you know, year to 18 months. And don't get caught up and react emotionally. And of course, as we just said, it's easier said than done. And it's interesting. I spoke recently with a prospective client. You know, they're not a client now, but they're thinking about it. Last week, who's maybe about six months away from retirement, and look, just discussing what his plans were for things like investing and where he's going to spend his time. And he said he intends on keeping a sharp eye on all of the holdings every day mm. and making moves each day as the data on his computer and cell phone allow them to make you know a lot of trades and i'm thinking to myself i don't think that that don't sound like a lot of fun Don. i mean no, you know doesn't. like uh, i mean I, if, I, I guess if you enjoy it i guess l let me let me clarify that a little bit don like it, there's some people who certainly enjoy that kind of part of it right they maybe they kind of always had a, a little um i don't know inkling in that direction and there's nothing wrong with that but i don't know if i'd want to do that into my retirement like every day that just doesn't sound like fun yeah, it's it's interesting. I've heard that where people say that, Mark, I enjoy it, but I've heard people who quit it mm -hmm. and, and they say, and I asked, why did you stop? And they, they would say, my wife hated it. <laughs> <laughs> or just such a time suck at can, you know. Like yeah, just, and she said that yeah. I just wasn't present with her and I wasn't, you know, I really wasn't the same person. Yeah. So uh, you know, on top of that, you're right. It, it's it's not fun. Uh it's a good way to lose money. Uh, and increase stress in your life. And it's all part of what I call the investor's dilemma. And we should go over that in the next show, yeah, the I'll circle of, of the dilemma. But, yeah. you know, several years ago, I remember uh, Eugene Fama, who is a brilliant guy, won the Nobel Prize in economics for his investment theories, was asked what advice he would give to a, a person who was nearing retirement. And he said, 
get a good hobby <laughs> nice <laughs> or or learn how to play the piano do something productive with yeah. your retirement do something that you, you know that you've always wanted to do don't sit and stare at the computer screen and again, nothing wrong with it if you like to do it, but I think there's a line, uh, do you want that second career, I suppose, as a financial advisor when you're supposed to be retiring? So good advice from uh, Eugene there. And folks, again, if you need some help, if you've got some questions, reach out to Don and talk about your specific financial situation and retirement situation at donaldcash.com. That's donaldcash.com. Again, you can get on his calendar. He's a CPA and a CFP. And this is Your Money and Your Life and you can subscribe to us on Apple, Google, Spotify, all that good stuff. And we'll catch you next time here on the show. Don, thanks for hanging out, my friend. Thanks, Mark. We'll catch you next time on Your Money and Your Life with Don Cash. Investment advisory services offered through Donald W. Cash & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of New Jersey.